We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy yourself. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Hello. Welcome back to Sorted Cinema. This week, we're talking about a movie that I've been thinking about lately, and I know Ricky's been thinking about lately. It just seems to keep coming up as we talk about other movies. Um, it's a movie that apparently we did talk about in short form a very long time ago, but uh, we thought the time was right for a variety of reasons to uh, go in for a deeper dive on, and that movie is the 1997 Canadian indie sci-fi flick Cube, directed by Vincenzo Natale and co-written by Natale with Andre Bijlek and uh, Graham Manson. Let's hear a clip. A cube. 26 rooms high. 26 rooms across. 17,576 rooms. Does anybody remember how they got here? Why would they throw innocent people in here? Are we being punished? There's a way in here, so there's got to be a way out. Do you think they'd go to all the trouble to build this thing if we could just walk out? Take a good long look around. But I got a feeling it's looking at us. We have about three days without food and water before we're too weak to move. I just want to wake up. I looked in the room down there and something almost cut my head off. Motion detectors integrated into the walls. Top to spot. You're not getting out of here. Yes, we are. There is no way out of here. We need to get around the traps. They're identified by crime numbers. We'll figure it out. I can't. I'm not dying in a rat maze. No more talking. No more guessing. You gotta save yourselves from yourselves. What the hell is going on? We haven't been moving in circles, the rooms have. We are the key. The cube is us. Hello, you're listening to Sorted Cinema. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined by Mr. Ricky D. What's up, Simon? Sorry, I'm just trying to cram as many syllables as I can into one breath. How you doing? I'm good. I can't wait to talk about this movie because you know why? So I actually watched this movie opening night when it first came out way back in the day. Like this was released in 1997, I believe. Seven. Yeah. 
actually, I think it was released in 98. I think it was made in 97. Anyhow, the point is late 90s. I was really young. I went to go see this movie opening night with my friends and I was blown away. I had no idea what this movie was about. And so I just always remember this movie being fantastic. And a lot of people were comparing it for whatever reason to sell. And a lot of people just didn't like it because of the acting. And we actually reviewed this movie on the podcast way back in the day. Only for some reason, I missed the episode. Anyhow, I'm like stoked that we are reviewing this movie. And I got to tell you, I had a blast watching it again. If you are listening to this podcast and you're Canadian, then there's a pretty good chance there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of you out there who are listening that describes uh there's a decent chance you've seen this movie already but if you haven't um here's a basic breakdown so the the film opens with an unfortunate fellow named alderson played by legendary uh canadian character actor julian riching um who has no dialogue you see him get up and he's in a metallic cube shaped room and he moves to a different cube shaped room uh by you know opening a hatch and going down to the next cube and then he gets cubed by a metal trap many years before it is quite cool and many years before saw way before saw i think this movie is so influential which we can get into but correct refresh my memory but is there a title drop of the word cube when he gets yeah there is yes there is it's pretty it's pretty sweet yeah so the, the this this brief uh, I should the whole movie is is very the whole movie is what like 86 minutes very tight length you, you love to see it um oh for sure so this opening establishes the and basically the entire premise of the movie which is really just uh this group of this motley group of strangers um who find who awake to find themselves in this uh large cube containing these many cubes some of which contain traps are the traps predictable by the numbers imprinted on each cube perhaps we will find out um so it is it, it is it's sort of a puzzle box movie meets a uh, a sort of twilight zone-esque ethical uh, sci-fi parable if you will it really is a puzzle box movie. Like this is by far the the definition of a puzzle box sci-fi thriller. And it really is just a horror film with a bunch of people, I won't say running around, but trying to escape a cube. And that's it. It's it's very simple. But again, before Saw, before Squid Game, before Battle Royale, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, before um, yeah around the same time uh, there's a lot of other films that have come since that uh, I didn't see that movie the platform but its entire premise seemed very QB and also there are what three sequels to cube there are there is a sequel a prequel and now there is a Japanese uh, remake which if the Wikipedia page is to be believed has a uh, like all the characters correspond to the ones in the original, which is unfortunate for reasons we may get to in a moment. You did mention Twilight Zone, and I think that is a really good comparison because it's like Vincenzo Natale, the Canadian filmmaker, who's fantastic, by the way. He's like, you know, he's also directed some episodes of like Hannibal and whatever, a bunch of great movies. This is his first feature film, if I'm not mistaken, his first time directing a full length feature. And he takes like a concept, like a scenario that, seems lifted from an episode of the twilight zone and he stretches it out into like a full length feature film. And he made this movie in like 27 days for like little money. I think $300,000, which is not a lot when you're making like a, a high concept 
science fiction horror film like this. So it's like a low budget, high concept film. And there's a, it has its flaws. We can talk about like yeah. the acting and some of the dialogue, but it's still a really smart, clever sci-fi thriller with some interesting plot twists, a really kick-ass ending, I think, and a mathematically complex plot. And for someone like me, who's not very good at math, I'm going to be honest with you, I failed math in high school. It just added to my enjoyment of watching the movie, trying to figure out what the hell is going on, how they're trying to solve you know, the mathematical equations to the, to determine which of these rooms is safe to enter. So I don't know. I think I, and I think I'm not alone because I think a good chunk of society would be just as lost as I was in, in terms of like trying to like grasp onto, you know, the prime numbers. And I'm not even sure. Like at first it's like, they think it's prime numbers that makes the room safe, but it turns out it's not actually prime numbers. I forget what happens after. Yeah, it ends up being powers of prime numbers, which is like anyway, whatever. Um, the you, you know what I I use the term puzzle box movie, and I think I used it mainly because you know this literally the setting and 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 uh, like the structure of the setting literally is like a giant Rubik's cube, um, which makes it difficult not to think about that. But I mean, unlike a movie like um, unlike a Christopher Nolan movie, like there's really there isn't a mystery to be solved exactly. Um, there's no revelation at any point of what's going on and why. Uh, the closest we get to that actually comes closer to the halfway point of the film when a character who's been mostly silent and kind of sardonic on his own um, turns out to have had some some uh, hand in the creation of this giant gizmo slash death trap slash like military industrial boondoggle or whatever that they all find themselves in. Um, and that's pretty much all the explanation or context or anything you get, um, even up until the end. And that's something that kind of gets retconned in, in Cube 2. But um, that's something I, I it, it's partially down to, you know, Natalie wanted to, I'm sure, get this get this story done and depicted in as cheaply a way as possible, which means, you know, it helps to not have a bunch of extra actors and sets and concepts. But I really like how pared down the uh the screenplay and, and the story is to the to the extent that you don't get a glimpse outside the cube you don't get a glimpse of the architects you don't get a glimpse of its purpose you only get um the abstraction and the like the loneliness of being trapped inside which i think is a great choice i actually completely agree with you and i think thematically it also works because technically there are seven actors but like you said the first actor right away dies in the opening scene which is by the way incredible like maybe the best effects in the movie and it's like it's like the money shot and it happens like right away opening scene he gets sliced and diced by the like wires it's like this i don't know how you would explain it. it's just like it's basically just like piano wire shooting out like anyway it's a whole thing it's it's basically like a tiny little short film unto itself it's great right and it's a solid introduction but he gets diced and sliced by a net of wires and thematically that also works because like i said he turns into like little bits of like cubes. cubes he gets cubed he gets cubed That's great but then we get six characters so there's like seven actors four principals but really six characters that we follow after the cold open and the cube itself has six sides yeah, uh now this is a, as good a time as any to say that i don't think anyone's favorite thing about cube is the characters 
let's just like be very clear here. Are are yes. we complaining about the characters, the acting, or the writing? Because I don't think the actors are that bad. I think it's a combination of the characters that they are given to play, like the actual parts, the fact that they're like written as like these like character tropes, and the fact that the dialogue at sometimes is kind of like horrendous. But the actors themselves, I mean, they're not that bad. Like maybe the worst offender is I forget his name, the guy who plays a police officer. Quinton is a Maurice Dean Wint. Uh, that's yeah, Anyhow. that's correct. So he's maybe the worst offender, but I also think it's because of the sort of character he's asked to play. But the thing about, and I really want you to chime in right now, like as soon as I finish my sentence here, is I, I feel oh like boy. the characters are symbolic in nature. Like you got the teacher, you got the cop, you got the intellect, you got the survivalist. But like what I found weird and maybe interesting about it is that. They, and we, we talked about this with our review of Squid Game, where there is one character who I believe falls on the scale of like autism. It's never really defined what exactly his issue is. He's kind of presented as like an autistic idiot savant type character in that he he uh, he can't really verbalize pro- properly, but he ends up having a crucial role to play in the decoding process. OK, so the intellectually disabled man, we can say turns out to be a genius and because of his prime number calculations he's the one who's actually able to save the group although we'll talk about the ending later but the point is it's like there are actually two intellectuals here like there's the young girl who at first we believe she's the one that's going to like get them out of this cube alive because she's the one that figures out its prime numbers and they like everyone gets stripped of all of their possessions except for her she gets to keep her glasses which we find out later it's it's only reading glasses and the reason why she gets to keep her reading glasses because whoever specifically picked these six or seven people to be put in a cube it's because it feels like it's an actual game it's to see if these six or seven people can survive and work as a team to survive and each have specific qualities and skills that can help them survive if they can only work as a team yeah, which so my, that... my question is, why is there why is there two people who are, quote unquote, like super smart? I mean, this is the entire aspect of the movie that doesn't really work for me on a script level is like the 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 compelling aspect to me of the screenplay is is the randomness of, you know, the, these people wake up in this apparatus that doesn't seem to have a purpose uh, with these people to whom they have no connection but then, of course, it turns out that they all have, for the most part, you know, special skills that can help out to figure out the which I don't know. It it undermines the idea of of chaos and the idea of this sort of cold, irrational machine. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it undermines its own play there. You know what I'm saying? To be fair. And actually, this is one of the things I like about the actual script, the premise and the fact that the director chose to, you know, basically make this movie based on a short film that he watched in which a bunch of people are trapped in an elevator, but it's that he doesn't really care about what the cube is or who made the cube or why they're in the cube. We don't actually ever get answers like spoilers by the end of the movie. We never find out who put them in the cube, why they were chosen to be the seven people put in the cube, you know, like, and I like that because a lot of people find that frustrating about the movie. Like a lot of people I know just hate the movie because it does not give answers. But I feel like at the same time, by not giving us all of the answers, it's kind of like a scapegoat. And to be fair to the filmmaking crew here, who, by the way, I think made a really amazing film straight out of film school for little money. 
it gives them a reason or um, an escape for like questions like that. It's like basically, you know, like by not answering what exactly is happening here, by not feeding the audience all of the answers, we can get away with what could have been plot holes or limit limitations on our resources. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that's actually kind of smart. Like, I think the best thing I can say about this movie, maybe not the best thing, but one uh, positive is it is a, 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 a prime example, like a masterclass of how to make a sci-fi horror film with very little money. Because I mean, this launched this dude's career. Like, you know, without this movie, he might have never ever been able to, like, for example, direct episodes of Hannibal. Like, it's a really impressive first-time feature. And I was looking back at my list of the best movies released in 1998, and I was like, how come I never put this movie on the list? Because I think it is one of the best movies of 1998. In fact, I think that this is one of the best horror films of the 90s. Yeah, apparently the the it was it played at TIFF in 97, and also apparently came out in ottawa and uh montreal in 97 as well at least some screens and then it went wider in 98 so anyway who knows who who cares just throwing it out right. there so so it's a 97 release that's fine yeah um, so maybe, maybe i put it in my list of, of best movies released in 1997 yeah. i should go and check no i mean um you can definitely draw a straight line between cube and some other sort of micro budget wonders that we've seen in the last like in the intervening years like um the two Shane Carruth films, especially Primer and a movie like Coherence also feels uh, it like it's in that micro budget wheelhouse. Um, what was that Amazon one that everyone liked that I haven't watched yet? Vast of Night. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, the, yeah, it's completely different. Not at all the same. It's a great movie, though. You should watch it. Um, but, but, you know, we, we just have to quickly mention Squid Game because it's like so popular. And we reviewed it like about two weeks ago. But mm. like that TV show. Like Cube focuses on a bunch of characters again that need to work as a team. So it's like this is gonna sound so cheesy, but it's typical Ricky D, like the way I just hate people. You know what I mean? Like it feels like an allegory of life. Like we don't know the reason why or the purpose why we are on this planet and we are who we are, but we're stuck with a bunch of strangers and they all suck, including us. Like everyone sucks. <laughs> That's what I feel like this movie is. It's like a bunch of like assholes. Like, I'm sorry, like none of these characters are likable by the end of the film, because you realize like even the fucking doctor who tr- who is actually kind of heroic at times because she actually goes to save the mentally handicapped dude. Sorry, I'm not sure if I should say that, but you know what I'm saying? And um, and like, but she's so annoying. Like at the same time, she's like one of the worst characters. Like if, if you had to ask me in to rank these characters in order, like who I would want to spend a few hours with it, locked up in a room, like I would put her at the bottom of the list. You'd have an easier time dealing with the murdering cop. <laughs> Well, Vandy. I don't think the murdering cop would actually kill me. <laughs> right. He won't kill you. He'll just kill the other characters. Yeah, but he's locked up in a room with me. So everyone's safe. <laughs> okay. Um, but but the... but like, the, 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 but sorry, but the thing is, it's like in Squid Game, they have sort of like similar characters. Like you have the old man yeah. in this. In the, OK, so here we actually have an escape artist who's sort of like an elderly man. He's not elderly like in his 80s, but he's like he's probably the oldest of the cast. He's like, the well, he's not the first to go. He's a he's a second character to go, which, yeah. by the way, his his death is gruesome and so good because he like he basically um, he gets acid dropped on his face and it melts his face. And I don't know. I thought that was 
pretty clever uh, special effects for the time for a movie that's made for like very little money on in, in like in 27 days. Oh, the, the the melted face effect is good. Can can we just talk about like the best thing about this movie, which is yeah, the actual set? Oh yeah, thank you for yeah. The cube is the star of the cube, and yeah, the cube exactly. And notice how I use the word set, not sets, because each of the like okay, so it might appear that they actually filmed this movie in several rooms, like maybe like you would assume like five, six, one, eight rooms. It's just one cube, baby. It's one cube because they're all color coded, so they use different gels. To make it seem like they're going from one room to the next room, but really they're not. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't know, I don't know much about the origin of the film, but I assume that the, the set was the first thing devised for it. I mean, like even from a writing perspective that it, it all grew out from the set concept. Oh, for sure. So each of the six walls in the, in the actual cube, like the cube within the cubes has a hatch in the center, but there's actually only one hatch. So they have to open up the hatch or go from one room to the next room. And that's why what's, what's clever about the filmmaking is they, they create this illusion that not only are there more than one room that they created, there's, you know, there's actually only one set, but they only have one, la- one hatch, but they have to mm-hmm. open up the hatch to get to the next room. So I thought that was really clever. Cause I was like, how the hell did, how, like, how did they, how did they do that? Cause I was like, I can understand them having one room and you just like change the, 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 the color gel. So it goes from like a blue room to a green room to a red room to a yellow room. But if there's only one hatch, how do you get like the person to go through the hatch and end up in the next room if it's really the same room? So I thought that was really clever. So and like the I'm not entirely sure how big the actual set is, but from my understanding, it's made up of 14 foot square rooms enclosed inside an outer shell because mm-hmm. that's like the way the actual like the like the cube within the movie is is described so they actually built the cube as big as they say it is in the movie and then in the movie it's cited has 434 square feet i think so anyways the point is that there's like 17,576 rooms i think that they they calculate the characters within the film so for them to escape the cube there are like over 17,000 cubes that make up this giant cube and that's where it becomes frustrating because the group of six people have to find a way out of the death trap. They have to find a way out before they run out of air and or water. If I'm not mistaken, the equation is the cube was 26 rooms high, 26 rooms across by 26 rooms deep, leaving 35 feet between the rooms and an outer shell to move within. This is all based on Wikipedia. So when you talk about how they clearly had to put a lot of thought and consideration into the actual set, you're not wrong because without the right set, you can't actually make the movie. Like you can, you can actually make this movie and not have the guy's face melt. You just decide not to melt his face, right? You can mm-hmm. decide not to actually cut up the guy into like the first character up, you know, kill him and have him like sliced and diced into like millions of like little cute pieces. You could just, mm-hmm. I don't know, cut away to black or something, right? You still need the actual set. And so this is, this is what I mean about smart independent filmmaking. Like talk about knowing what you can do, what you can't do, and finding like the best solutions to actually make a movie like this. Well, and I think it also speaks to um, the power of a good of a good setting and of a good story hook that like not everyone loves Q, but I think most people are entertained by it and just about everyone will get through it um, despite uh, the occasionally quite grating performances and occasionally not so great writing uh, just because 
the the uh the actual the 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 set design and the filmmaking is is so rock solid that uh you you you're you're kind of left like the the initial hook of the of the cubed fellow and then we get a, a host of other traps sort of deployed carefully across the film those those are enough to keep you going uh even even as you're kind of annoyed by the um the best way i can think to describe the acting in this movie it's is that it's extremely canadian television um which i mean especially it's canadian television of that era uh, and i i mean that uh not even necessarily as a knock but just as a descriptor so that people understand what they can expect um i don't think all the performances are, are bad all the time but there are definitely scenes where you will you will struggle to care about these people yeah, for sure. And I, I think I still do think it's a combination of the writing, the direction and the actors. They're definitely the, there's something also very mid 90s about this. Like in a way, the movie is kind of ahead of its time. But in others, it, the characterization and the selection of who these characters are going to be to represent society feels very 1997. And I'm not sure how else to explain it. Oh, for sure. For sure. I totally agree. And um, here in my notes, I have like just like four, a, a list of four things that I think is not good. It's like it's, it's what I call like my bad points. And the Canadian acting is one of like my four points. Like I specifically wrote Canadian acting like and <laughs> it it's I mean, like, look, I mean, even in it is Canadian ass acting. Yeah. Like even in 2021, like there are better Canadian films and it seems actors are somewhat better than they were in like the nineties and eighties, but I still feel like Canadian acting is still Canadian acting. Like there are a few that can, you know, to Ryan Reynolds of this world or to Keanu Reeves and even Keanu Reeves, he's super cool. One of my favorite actors, but I wouldn't call him like the greatest actor. Right. But a guy oh, like Ryan I, Reynolds, I mean, like, come on, Keanu is awesome. He, he's like amazing, but they're, they're so few and far between like most Canadian actors. They're, they're just, they're so Canadian. Like, I don't know. They just can't escape being like, it's, it's, it's like they all went to the exact same acting school and had the exact same acting teachers. And so they only know one way of delivering dialogue. And that's it's, why they can't so get strange. out of the cube. Yeah. But going back to the actual cinematography, like it's not amazing. Cause look, they only had one room to light. So it's not like this movie looks gorgeous. It doesn't look bad. I do think that, changing the actual color schemes of the room might not thematically say anything about the characters and movie itself, but it does add a little bit of flair and it does help them in terms of like shooting the film where they don't have to make more than one set. But still the cinematographer, Derek Rogers still makes good use of almost every single shot. I say almost because there's some shots I just did not like, but he does make you or the viewers feel frustrated and claustrophobic. And for a movie that has one set, like legit one set, it's a big, huge box. He does find some interesting ways to film these like six characters in one room. Mm -hmm. So some of the shot compositions are bland because of the setting, but most of this is handheld camera work. And so, you know, considering the budget, considering it's handheld camera work, I think it's, I think they did a pretty good job. And what I, what I only found out today, and I found this out, reading the internet movie database trivia page, the Toronto based effects company core, they actually donated their services for free to make the movie. So, cause they, they were trying to find the cheapest way to make this film. 
So they got a, an effects company to work for free, which is why the effects are kind of like, you know, not great because, mm-hmm. you know, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. Uh, well, if you really want to see some not great effects, I recommend uh, hunting down Cube 2 Hypercube, uh, which we, we, we could talk about what's what's wrong with this movie. But I think that uh, the other Cube movies really make clear that it's not easy to pull off a movie like this that's even watchable from beginning to end because uh, Cube 2 is really not a great movie either. Uh, it has some of the same problems and then like even fewer, I think, I think fewer of Cube's charms, but I, I will give it points for its almost hilariously bleak ending. And by ending, I mean specifically last 30 seconds, which I, I won't say any more about that. I believe I tried to watch Cube Zero once and just didn't even finish it. Okay. I'm actually interested to watch. Um, well, I, I guess I kind of want to watch all of the Cube movies at this point in time, but I'm not expecting greatness, to be no, honest. I, but I'm just kind I of mean, like curious. To be, uh, to, to be honest with you, I'm surprised that there still hasn't been a full scale English remake, which seems like it's, I mean, that's almost a license to 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 print viewership at this point okay look if you want to remake a movie with me we could try to get the rights because check this out so this movie costs like the real numbers here like we could talk about the rooms how many rooms there are and talk about prime numbers calculations the the most important number is how much it actually costs so right. this movie cost three hundred thousand dollars in 1997 and most of that was because of like the special effects which was only in like two minor scenes and creating the set you could actually create a better set now in 2021 with CGI. Like you would just, you can basically make this movie in your apartment. You can rent out on a, a giant, huge loft and make this movie. As long as you have a good special effects guy working with you. You could. Uh, and you, you, the, although again, don't just do what the Japanese remake did and recreate the characters again, for some reason, write new characters, write better characters. Right, but so I haven't seen a Japanese remake, but is it like pretty much like the same concept, like same sort of like is it just a remake, like scene by scene type thing? That I don't know. I I I all literally all I know is from glancing at the Wikipedia page where where the characters are apparently inspired one to one from the characters from the original. Like it's they, like there's still seven people, and the seven people are that are derived from the same seven people. And just to be clear, the movie actually costs an exact three hundred and sixty-five thousand Canadian dollars. So I'm just right. saying you can maybe make this movie for about fifty thousand in twenty twenty one. Yeah. Or twenty thousand American. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Something like that. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, hear another clip, and when we return, we're headed to spo- into full spoiler territory with our usual round of questions. We'll be right back. Levin, what do you do in school? Math. What can they mean? Shh. One forty nine. numbers. I can't believe I didn't see it before. See what? 
It seems like if any of these numbers are prime, then the room is trapped. Okay, um, 645. That's not prime. 372. No. 649. Right, 11 times 59. It's not prime either. So that room is safe. Wait, wait, wait. You make that assumption based on one prime number trap. I'm not. The incinerator thing was prime. 083. The molecular chemical thingy had 137. The acid room had 149. You remember all that in your head? I have a facility for it. Levin. You beautiful brain. You're back on Sorted Cinema. This is still the Cube Review. Uh, what's our first question, Ricky? How do you want to start this off? Well, first of all, we should just warn listeners. I'm assuming that people are listening to the podcast. They've seen the movie, but we will spoil the movie. Not that it's a big deal because I don't really think it's it matters. Like, I, I feel like it's not like kind of like the usual suspects where it can really ruin a movie. But our first question is, what is your favorite scene? Favorite scene. The opening is really iconic, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, the there's other stuff that I like, but in terms of uh, of a way to economically set up the 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 cube itself i love the way when uh when riching steps out uh steps up in the middle of the cube we have this uh this handheld take sort of encircling him so we can see the exact dimensions of it that we're going to become familiar with for for, throughout the rest of the film uh i mean it's it's uh, it's one hell of a mic drop of an opening sequence I'm not entirely sure like what my favorite scene is because I kind of feel like like for me this whole entire movie feels like two scenes. There's the cold open and there's the rest of the movie because it all does take place <laughs> in one room. Fuck. So like yeah, I don't know. Like I would say maybe the scene in which they realize that one of because most of the rooms are the booby traps are triggered by movement like motion, but there's once one room that they reach and they uh, they realize that the booby traps are triggered by sound and so they actually decide to to be brave and and go through the room but of course they can't make any noise and so i think technically that scene creates the most suspense in the whole entire film because you have four characters if not five who can who can actually die i think there's five characters at that point in time yeah yeah so i would say that's maybe my favorite scene the if i had a runner-up uh i mean first of all ari the scene you just mentioned i just wanted to say it is an effective scene uh, if you were going to write it now, you probably wouldn't make the central source of tension whether or not the in- intellectually disabled character is going to make a sound involuntarily. <laughs> it's like kind of a kind of a strange source of tension. But um, I, I will say my, my runner up, if we're going to consider the um, the opening sort of out of bounds for being its own little movie, the scene of dialogue and acting that I think works best in the whole movie is when they de- when it is determined that. Uh, one of the characters, the uh, Worth, played by David Hewlett, um, who I think is probably the 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 most. Uh, it, it, I think he's he, he's I mean, whether or not he's the best character. I think he's giving the most palatable to a modern audience performance, uh, the most sort of low key. Anyway, uh, he, he it, they find out that he worked on the cube, and then they're trying to determine its purpose. And he explains to them in no uncertain terms that it has no purpose and there is no way out. Uh, and I, I just I love the oppressive atmosphere of that scene. And I, I like what it does for the rest of the movie. 
Okay, but the reason why he's the best character, and maybe you know what, that might actually it's not okay, it's not my favorite scene. I don't even think it's the best scene, but it clearly is a great scene. But it's because okay, first of all, he's the best actor, hands down. Like like you're like you just said how he plays to an actual modern audience. Like his his acting feels timeless, right? Whereas the rest of the cast, like it feels like this movie was actually made in the nineties. It actually feels at times like the movie was made in the eighties, but anyways. But his <laughs> character yeah, because his character like feels complex. Like he feels suicidal. He's depressed. He's hopeless. Yet there's and and there's a twist, right? Like we do find out that he is responsible, or partly responsible, for helping build this giant cube because he used to work in an office building, working for some big, huge corporation, building something. He didn't know what the master plan was. He was just, you know, what's the, what's the expression? A cog in the He's wheel. A cog in the machine. Yeah. So that I mean that speaks volumes for like I mean the way most people feel they work for these giant companies the giant companies do don't really give a shit about whatever it is that they're doing like polluting the environment or treating people like crap like and so like he feels guilty right like he feels partly responsible but he didn't really know the extent of what they were what what they were actually creating so like I don't know I just I do think he's by far the best character he serves a purpose more than just being like, you know, the smart one or the cynical the one, tough whatever, one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The other thing that I, I think that scene does for the movie, which I think helps the movie be somewhat timeless, even though some aspects of it clearly are dated is, you know, they find, they find out pretty much definitively in that scene that the cube is just kind of this, um, this project gone, gone wrong or gone rogue or just been, um, you know, just this discarded piece of complicated chaos that exists for no particular reason uh, except to be used. And uh, I think there's well, something wait, wait. very. That's, that's what he says. We don't know if that's an actual fact. We don't know that it's a fact, but the movie certainly takes his words seriously. Um, you know, the, the movie kind of pauses to let it, to have to let him pontificate about all this. And we get we get the sense that he's at least mostly right. Um, especially having worked on part of it. But I, I feel like there's that that connects that should connect really well with modern audiences, this idea that there's these forces at work that kind of run themselves. That there what I think he, he even says at one point that there is no one running the show. There is no uh there isn't the equivalent of um of uh of what's his name from Squid Game running this running the show. There's no front man. Right. Which is why I do like the concept, the actual script, like better than Squid Game. And like, that's why I like the ending, for example. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's why I think you can take you can take Cube and you can turn it into the American version of Squid Game. Like not instead of remaking Squid Game, because you know how Hollywood is. They always want to remake like the successful foreign language films or TV shows. Instead of remaking Squid Game, you can just remake Cube for far lower budget and actually do a better job especially with the ending because when we reviewed squid game i mean i think your biggest complaint was the old man and the big twist involving the old man which we won't talk about on this podcast in case anyone hasn't seen squid game but this movie avoids that and that's why like a lot of people that i know complain about the ending about how it doesn't give answers but i feel like it like you're saying it kind of does give an answer the answer is there is no answer uh, well, it certainly seems that like like you said, the movie doesn't officially answer that. And uh, Cube 2 has its own set of answers for these questions. But uh, I invite you to go at least read the synopsis for Cube 2 sometime. It's really something. 
the reason why I'm afraid to watch Cube 2 now, Cube, this Cube 2 is actually called Cube 2, right? The second film? It's called Cube Cube 2 Hypercube. Oh, so it's Literally. not Cubed? No, no, it's Cube 2 Hypercube. So what's the third one called? It's uh, Well, the prequel is called Cube Zero. But it was made third, just to be, just to be extra confusing. All right. So the next question is, what is one thing that you would change? Like we talked about your favorite scene. But what would you change if you could change one thing? Um, I mean, I think it's both a thing that uh, dates the movie and also uh, is just kind of like it's it's just not a not a very enjoyable viewing experience. I I I really am not wild about the uh, the whole concept of the uh, the intellectually disabled character who has one who can do one thing that ends up being important to them getting through the, I just, I don't like that whole concept. Uh, I don't like what it adds to the movie, get rid of it, replace it with anything else. I'm going to agree. But if I had to change one thing overall, it would be just the actual, like, it's not about the acting. It's about the actual characters. I don't want to blame the actors and call them like just bad actors. Cause I'll give you an example. When we get to the introduction, when, when they all end up in the same room for the first time, cause it takes like about like 10 minutes for that to happen. Right. So they, there's sort of like a small introduction as to who these people are. And we get to the – I'm not going to say she's a teenager. She feels like she's actually in her early 20s. I could be totally wrong. But the young student, right? Her name is Levin. Uh, yeah, so, played by Nicole DeBoer, yeah. At first, she's portrayed as a character who's just like really, really scared out of her mind, which she should be because she wakes up, you know – in this cube in the middle of like nowhere surrounded by strangers and there's booby traps everywhere. And she goes from being scared within like the first five minutes of the movie to being like the brave soul who's super smart. And she's having so much fun solving these mathematical equations. I'm like, why are you having so much fun? You're in a fucking cube locked up with a bunch of crazy strangers and there's booby (laughs) traps everywhere. You can die in any second and you're having so much fun solving math problems that makes no sense yeah it's it's not great it's not a it's not a great moment of tone commandment yeah and it's weird because like i feel like i feel like i shouldn't like this movie like i'm i'm sitting here talking to you about the film and i like i see when we talk about it like i feel like when you talk about cube it sounds like the worst movie ever (laughs) no but it's to watch it well you do have to i mean yes but also it's just it's so damn charming like it is a very charming little movie um just the fact that it's it's hard to watch it and not know and not kind of get the sense of how it was made and just have you have to have admiration for the moxie with which it was put together all right the next question who do you think is the mvp of this movie uh writer director actor And I'm I'm keeping my stipulation that it can't be the auteur. So sorry, I disagree. I think there's plenty of movies where you won't pick the the director. No, no, no. But I'm saying it's more interesting if you're if it's not allowed. Not allowed has to be someone else. So excluding uh, the director Vincenzo Natale, who would you say is the MVP of Cube? I'm gonna go with uh, who who do I credit with with set design? I'm not sure. There's like. There's the art direction by Diana Magnus, and there's production design by Jasna Stevanovich. Whoever is most responsible for the cube itself obviously has to get the MVP. So it's probably one of those two, one or one or both of those people. 
I mean, see, this is this is where this is where I sort of like push back on the idea that you can't choose the director because okay, so what did the art director do? She she decided to like film it in a in in a in a square room because you're filming a movie called Cube. Like, there's nothing in the room. It's not like she she like created furniture or a backdrop for the actual like set. Like, I'm surprised there's an actual art director listed in the credits and a production designer. Because what they what what exactly did they do? Like the cinematographer is responsible for finding clever ways to shoot a movie in one room and make it appear to be shot in different rooms. So I'm going to give it to the cinematographer. It's the cinematographer who ha- who came up with the idea of using different gels to light up the rooms in different colors again to make it appear oh, like maybe. you're in a different room. Well, it's either him or it's the, or it's Vincenzo Natale, but if you're not yeah. letting me choose the director, I'm, not I'm just going to like Natale, yeah. I'm just going to assume it's the cinematographer. All right. The fun in watching Cube, at least for me because I'm a very visual person, is to pick apart the film and try to figure out how many shots this cinematographer and director can think of and compose. But it's the same fucking room. <laughs> it's the same it is room. Fun. Again, fun. it makes it, make, it it makes the movie inherently sort of inherently enjoyable on a technical level. Yeah, so I'm going to choose the cinematographer. All right, because I'm not entirely sure who your MVP. Like, what exactly it is? Like, the, the, I'm giving. What, what, you know what? The MVP is the cube. The cube <laughs> is the MVP. That's, That's the only way answer. I'm going to satisfy you. All right. All right. Well, the last question we have in our podcast is in 2021. Who would you recommend a movie like Cube to? And of course, the obvious answer is anyone that's like a film, well, for a film yeah, student. Yeah. But like, I'm talking about like a general audience here. Yeah, you're a fan of this, you'll like Cube, uh, is the sort of angle of the question. Um, and I would say, uh, first of all, if you have any interest in Canadian film history, I think Cube is really important, not just for establishing Natali, but. Um, I think for, for developing this, this strange little cottage industry of, of cube related movies, uh, which I suspect we're going to keep seeing in, in sequel and remake and spinoff form every once in a while, probably until the end of time, because it is like a, it's a, it is a really good hook and a really good uh, visual gag. Um, I would say anyone who digs high concept sci-fi that ruminates on big questions uh, about, about modernity um like for instance, if you like the Matrix for that reason, this this uh, this predates the Matrix, and I think has some of the same concerns on its mind. Um, I'd say anyone who uh, digs, anyone who's who's looking to make a film, I think as as Ricky was saying, and and uh, and wants wants uh, uh, a, a multi pronged lesson in simplicity and elegance in film concepts. Um, that uh that can support an entire movie i think this is this is a good one to get the juices flowing anyone who likes movies with a high body count because there are seven characters in this movie and the body count is at least six people if not seven because we're not entirely sure if the last person survives yeah i mean it's it is yeah which by the way i want to ask like what did you think of the actual ending because that seems to be like a deal breaker for some people i mean i think the ending is fine uh i love the ending the ending is fine um again the, the other movie took it in a different direction which, which i also liked but i i don't think the i don't think the uh i don't think there's anything wrong with the ending it also helps keep it a, a tidy 85 minutes by the way right and in my crazy brain i always think that this is the prequel to beyond the black rainbow 
like I feel like when this movie ends, then you can like put those characters to situate them in the world of Beyond the Black Rainbow. I don't know why I always like think of these two movies as being part of the same universe. I, I think they I mean, there's there's definitely something to like it's this the super constructed interiors. They're very Canadian. They've I don't know. There's there's some and they're both like micro budget wonders also. Like I, I think Beyond the Black Rainbow had a little bit more had some more money uh, by comparison, but watching this now after watching squid game i could not help but laugh when they start talking about who they think is responsible for putting them inside the cube and so like is it aliens is it like the government is it like a prison is it mm. and then one, one of the characters says it's a rich cycles version of of entertainment that's right and then they get laughed at that's right the character gets laughed at gets uh gets laughed out of the sea and for suggesting that it could be some rich psychos entertainment <laughs> I'm like you Spring. haven't seen squid game <laughs> obviously yeah um yeah i mean i would clearly 100 percent recommend it to anyone that likes uh low independent smart sci-fi horror films but also if you're if you're into like those horror films that are all set in one location like this is it like i mean you know like even when you think of like cabin and wood horror films right there's always like the cabin but then there's still the woods and the woods can be like you know like let's face it they can like the woods are huge right so like you can do a lot within a cabin in the woods horror film but this is like you only have a cube so like imagine making a movie inside a room and you have to make that movie interesting and i think that's why like i i feel like this movie is unfairly criticized because, and I understand like when people go, like if you're a film critic, I don't, I don't know how it was in like 1998. Cause like, I guess back then, like the internet was just becoming like a big thing, right. In terms of like movie blogs and stuff. But I don't think like someone like Roger Ebert and maybe he did, maybe it was in his press notes. I don't know. But did he know that this movie was only made for $300,000? Did he know that this movie was made by a bunch of film students? Did he know that this movie was made in 27 days? Like, you know, because you, when you when you consider all of these factors, like you kind of like, you, I don't know if this is fair, but you, you kind of give them a bit of a pass. And at the same time, it is a smart film and it is entertaining. It's just that they didn't have the time and the budget and resources to really make it any better. But I think, they made a really, really kick-ass independent sci-fi horror film here that I like think stands a test of time. Like, yeah, the acting is kind of dated. You actually you know what you say the acting's dated. I don't think it's dated because I remember when I saw this movie as a kid back in the 90s, like I was a teenager, I still thought the acting was terrible back then. Like I still <laughs> was smart enough to know what bad acting was. No, but I it's a, it's a, but it's I don't know the type of bad acting that it is makes me think of that era I guess. But I I can see I can see what you mean about it seeming like it comes from an even older one. I just wanted to say before we uh, wrap this up that I I really also dig the other Vincenzo Natale movies that I've seen. I really like Splice. I think that movie is super fun, uh, and I also really like Nothing, which is sort of a uh, an odd sci fi comedy he made in between those movies that not a lot of people have seen. That's quite fun. Which has two of the actors from this movie. Mm. Yeah. Andrew Miller and David Hewlett. Yeah. David Hewlett, by the way, has gone on to have quite a career. Actually, he's in The Shape of Water. He's in uh, he's in uh, Rise. He's in one of the Planet of the Apes movies. He's all over the place. Anyway, uh, that's about it for us this week. You know what we're talking about next week, Ricky? Fair enough. We will be back in roughly a week's time to talk about something else. Maybe something new. Um, but, uh, that's about it for me, Ricky, uh, plug away. You can find the podcast over at sortedcinema.com, And of course you can find me and the podcast over at sorted cinema on Twitter. 
Um, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, I think Amazon, which is really weird. Um, YouTube, it's everywhere where you like to listen to podcasts. But once again, all of the links are over at sortedcinema.com. All right. That's it from us. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in about a week. You want to come with us, Worth? Down the hatch. What the fuck's with him? Beep.